welcome this morning. And uh, you are the fortunate few that set your clocks and were able to get here on time. Uh, we got our new video system up. I was sitting over there earlier thinking, man, that thing is clear today. I don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden it dawned on me that Eric installed the new system. So, uh, and Jorge, appreciate that. And I'm uh, looking forward to having some good quality projection again. We were, it was really getting, getting pretty bad there at the end. Um, of course, that, that one was uh, 10 years old, something, around 2002, I believe, we installed those. And so, all right, well, just open your Bible this morning, anywhere's will do. Um, I don't have a launching place, but uh, we'll, get to a, we'll get to a scripture here before too long. Uh, this morning, I, I want to just speak about happiness. And as I mentioned Wednesday evening, some of the most miserable people I know are Christians. And... Um, Sometimes when I find out, I, I meet people and, and, and I get to know them a little bit and, boy, they're just such unhappy people. And then I find out they're believers, they're Christians. And I think, oh, how can you be so unhappy and be a Christian? Um, years ago, uh, I had a Sunday school bus and I was training a, a young man to become a bus captain. And he was out with me and we went out one Saturday and we recruited 150 children to come on the bus. 150 children that Saturday said they would come. He was so excited. And he had the responsibility, I gave him the job of preparing the Kool-Aid for the kids on Sunday morning on the ride home. We would give them Kool-Aid. And he was telling me he had a little two-gallon water cooler. He said, that's not going to be enough Kool-Aid. It's not going to be enough Kool-Aid for 150 kids. I got to go buy a bigger cool I said, well, now, wait a minute, Paul. Settle down. You know, you don't, we don't know how many are going to show up yet. Uh, oh, no, no, no. He said, uh, we got to have at least 100. Got to have at least 100 kids. When 150 say they're coming, we got to get at least 100. And he was all excited. He went out and bought extra cookies. And he went out and bought a five-gallon cooler so he could mix five gallons of Kool-Aid. And we ran our bus route that Sunday morning. And counting myself and him and the driver, we had seven on the bus. Seven. And... We were driving to the church, and, and this bus route was like 35 miles from the church. Uh, so we had a long drive into the church. And so I told him, I said, Paul, get up and sing with the kids, all four of them. And he just looked at me. He said, how can you possibly be so happy? And I looked at him, and I said, how can you possibly not? You see, happiness, this is one thing that all men seek. Now, not all men seek God. Uh, in fact, Scripture states that there are none that seek after God. Uh, and until God quickens our dead hearts and enlightens us to his truth, we do not and will not seek him. Uh, not all men seek spiritual truth. Most today uh, are content with the false doctrines that they can abundantly find in the churches dotting our, our uh, nation this morning. These do not want to be troubled by the truth. Their motto is, don't confuse me with the truth. Let me be content in my ignorance. They do not want to have their consciences pricked with conviction. They are content to hear and believe the doctrines of health, wealth, and prosperity. However, this morning, all men do seek after happiness. In fact, I'm sure that you, as well as I, want to be happy. After all, who wants to be unhappy? Who gets up in the morning and says, boy, I hope I have a miserable day. I don't want to be happy today. 
So the question this morning is not, do all men seek to be happy? For uh, we know that all men do. Rather, the question is, where and what are men seeking after to make them happy? Can wealth, can money make one happy? Uh, It certainly would seem that an abundance of money could make us happy, right? We could buy anything we want. We could have the finest car, the finest clothes. We could eat in the finest restaurants. We could live in the finest homes. It would seem that an abundance of money could make us happy. But there is an old saying, and that is that money can't buy happiness. If money can make one happy, why are there so many unhappy rich people in the world this morning? Can health bring one joy? Uh, Of course, we know that good health is an important thing. We know that if you don't have your health, you don't have anything at all. But alas, the world is full of healthy yet miserable people. So I must conclude that health does not really make one happy either. Well, you'd say it must be power. Power and authority, that brings true happiness. But there's another old saying, and that old saying is that absolute power corrupts absolutely. So obviously... Power and authority does not make one happy. Now, I think that all of you this morning pretty ha- have a pretty good idea where I'm going with this. Our true happiness can only be found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, so with the, with the time I have, and it's, it's brief, uh, let us see what God's word tells us about being happy as children. I'm going to do my best to get through all of this material. Uh, I actually had, I think I have six points on your outline. But I actually had like about 11 or 12, but I knew we were never getting to all of them. So uh, we'll, just, we'll just take these six and be happy with that. Amen? <laughs> all right. Happiness is found this morning, number one, in living in reverence to God. Living in reverence to God. And by reverence, we are speaking of a holy and righteous fear of the Lord. Uh, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Psalm 128. Open up to Psalm 128, if you will. And here in Psalm 128, we read, the psalmist writes, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. So guys, if you, want, if you want to have a good time with your wife and your kids, learn to fear the Lord. Because the Bible doesn't lie. And the Bible says a man who fears God is blessed in all his ways. Uh, verse 4, behold, that thus... Oh, I read that one already. Let's go to verse 5. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children, and peace upon Israel. The fear of the Lord. And when I talk about fear, I'm not talking about cowering in the corner in terror. Although certainly we need to be fearful of the wrath of God. But we're talking about reverence here. The right attitude and reverence for God will produce much fruitfulness in your life. Uh, It will cause you to live with an awareness of God in every aspect of your life. Having a holy and righteous fear of God causes you to put God first in all that you do. God will be first in your marriage. Why do marriages fail today? Well, because of a lack of of respect for one another, a lack of care and concern. And, you know, if if a man doesn't fear the Lord, he won't won't 
if he doesn't reverence God, he won't reverence anything. He'll be first in your marriage. He'll be first in your home. Uh, first in your home. A fear of the Lord will produce a, a home that, that is right with God. We read a moment ago, your children will be as, as, as olive trees in your, around your table. They'll, they'll, they'll just be so, so wonderful to be with and so wonderful to be around. The fear of the Lord produces these things. Uh, first in your finances. I have people st- all the time come to me who are struggling financially. And the first thing I'll ask them is, do you tithe? And they'll hem and haw. Uh, you know what? Shame on the Christian that doesn't tithe. Shame on a Christian that robs the Lord. Uh, we need to learn to, 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 to give not just our finances, but also of our talents and of ourselves and of our time. Uh, first in your finances. First, first in your entertainment. You know, there are people today that are going to be running off doing other things and not be in church. Those, you can't tell me those are people that reverence God. And I'm not trying to be cruel or unkind. But if you fear the Lord, if you have a reverence for God, then you will be in his house to worship him. Not at the lake. uh, Not at some sporting event. You'll be in the house of God, praising him and worship him. Happiness is found in reverence of God. Proverbs 28, 14. Happy is the man that feareth alway, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief. So first this morning, we see that happiness is found in living in reverence to God. Number two. Happiness this morning is found in placing your trust in the Lord. It's found in placing your trust in the Lord. Proverbs 16.20 tells us, He that handleth the matter wisely shall find good, and whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. Now, we would be well advised to trust the words of Solomon here this morning. Solomon knew a thing or two about being happy. Uh, Solomon was a man who had uh, all the wealth a man could amass in this world. He was, his wealth, uh, many theologians have, have said, would exceed that of, of anyone alive today, any one person alive today. Uh, Solomon was a very wealthy man, yet he found out that all that wealth was vanity. So Solomon knew a thing or two about being happy. And he knew that you were not happy unless your trust was in the Lord. He tells, he tells us in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add unto thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Solomon was wise enough to know that the Lord and the Lord alone is able to lead us and direct us through this life. And the Lord alone is able to give us joy and happiness. David addressed this matter of trust in the Lord in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 37, in verse 1, we read, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. I'm a bit shocked 
today at how many Christians fret and worry over the current situations and conditions in our country. Um, People will say, oh, well, you know, uh, I lost my job and I just don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Are you a child of God? Did not God promise to take care of you? Did not the Lord promise that he would give us all the things? What did he say in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto thee. Take no thought for the morrow, Jesus said, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Evil unto the day, sufficient unto the day, is the evil thereof. Um, We have no trust in God anymore as a Christian nation. Oh, we trust AT&T, and we trust IBM, and we buy stocks in their company, and we invest and say, oh, here's my security. Here's my future. But what about God? Trust in the Lord. You know, if you learn to trust God, and if you actually believe his promises then you don't have anything to be fearful of, do you? I don't worry. I don't worry about things in my life. I have no, no fear for my future because my future sits in the hands of God. And God has promised that he will meet all my needs. My God shall supply all your needs, Paul said, through his riches, according to Jesus Christ. So we learn to trust in God. God is faithful and just. All that he says, that he will do. So we can trust in him at all times and in all things. And this security will bring comfort and happiness to the believer. So we see that happiness is found in reverence to God. It's it's found in placing your trust in the Lord. And then thirdly, happiness is found in your obedience to God. Your obedience to God. In Psalm 40 in verse 8, Psalmist states... I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Now here in this psalm, David said he delighted. He found joy. He found happiness. He he found satisfaction in doing the will of God, in obeying his word. Obedience to God is the matter of a good conscience. In First Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, we read, Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you, as of, of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Uh, obedience gives us a good conscience. How many of you have raised children, or are you raising children? Can't you tell when your kids did something wrong? Huh? They walk in the room and they got that look. And you look at them. What? What did you do? Well, I, I didn't do nothing. Yeah, sure you didn't. You see, obey, obedience to God gives us a good conscience. And, and, and a good conscience is evident of, of joy in your life. That you, you know things are good. A good conscience will allow you to dwell in peace with both God and man. And this will produce happiness both with Christ and from Christ. John chapter 13 and verse 17. 
Uh, the Lord states, if ye know these things, talking about the commands of God, happy are ye if you do them. Now, we're trying to, we're trying to build a happy Christian today, and, and, and a Christian's happiness is, is founded upon a reverence for God, is founded upon a trust in God, and is founded upon obedience to God. What did Samuel tell King Saul? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And God desires our obedience. He demands our obedience. He expects our obedience, just as you do your children. Uh, You expect them to obey what you've said. And when they do obey, you're happy. And when you're happy, they're happy. Right? My wife has a thing in the house that says, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And I'm going to tell you, that, that must have come from God, because it's definitely true. <laughs> you know, I've, I've found the best, the best way to happiness in my home is just to shut up and do what I'm told. That's the best way to be happy. It's like the guy who once said, my wife and I, when we got married, we decided that I would make all major decisions and she would make all the minor decisions. And in 50 years of marriage, he said, not one major decision has ever come up. But happiness is found in obedience. When we obey the Lord, we're happy. Uh, Our happiness is found, number four, in your hope in Christ. Your hope in Christ. In Psalm 146 and verse 5, we read, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now, Hebrews 11, chapter 11 and verse 1 tells us, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope is the substance of our faith. Uh, hope is the meat on the, on the bones, if you will, of our faith. It's the substance. It's what our, it's what our faith is, is made up of. Now what is hope? Well, hope, by definition, is the expectation... To receive that for which we desire. Did I put that on the outline? I didn't put that definition on there. It's the expectation to receive. That's hope. Um, Hope is not simply a wish. Hope is not simply a desire. Hope is an expectation. Uh, I wish this morning... I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars, I could, I could pay off the church's debt. I could, pay off, I could buy my wife and I a home, and, and, and I could give the rest of the money to my, to my children. I wish I had a million dollars. But you know what? I have absolutely no expectation of getting a million dollars. Therefore, I don't hope in a million dollars. I wish this morning I had a yacht. I've always wanted to live on a yacht. I think that'd be great, you know, live on a yacht, be able to travel from port to port. I wish I had a yacht. However, I have no expectation of ever receiving a yacht. So my hope is not there. But I do hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope to, to be alive when he comes in the clouds and gathers his church together. I hope to... To, to, to experience that day. But you know what? Even if I go to the grave, I still, I, I hope 
that from the grave I will, I will rise again and I will be with the Lord in his presence for all eternity. I hope in Christ. But that is a hope that is sure. I fully expect to awaken in his image and in his presence. So you see, there's a difference. There's a difference between a wish, there's a difference between a desire and a hope. And happy is the man whose hope is in Christ Jesus the Lord. Uh, It is an earnest expectation. And when we understand this, when we understand that our hope in this life is to be with Christ, it brings joy to our lives because we know, we know that we shall receive that for which we hope. And I find joy in that. Again, as, as that young man in, in that bus that morning, Paul, as he told me, how can you possibly be happy? I said, how can you possibly not be happy? Does life matter? I mean, this life, does, does, does possessions really make a difference? Oh, they may, they may provide a means for us to live a little more comfortably while we're here. But in the scope of eternity, do they matter? Does it matter if you live in a... In a, in a, in a, in a $200,000 home or, or a $700,000 home? Does it matter if you drive a car that burns more oil than gas? Do all these things matter? Unfortunately, to a lot of Christians, they do. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians today have foolishly all of their energy and effort into what they can, into things tangible, what they can see and touch, and have forgotten completely about the hope that we have in Christ. They're not going to, let me tell you something, you're not going to find joy in, in, in a big fancy house because it's going to need repair. An earthquake's going to come along someday and shake the roof loose. You're not going to find joy in that car. Because sooner or later, that car is going to leave you stranded on the side of the road. And you won't be very happy with it at that time. You're not going to find joy in money. Because sooner or later, you're going to be broke. And you're not going to be happy. But let me tell you something. When when your happiness is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, you're never going to be sad. Because he's never going to forsake you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to let you down. He's always going to bless you. So our hope, our happiness, uh, we find happiness in reverence to God. We find happiness in trusting in the Lord. We find happiness in our obedience to God. We find happiness in our hope in Christ. And then number five, we find happiness in acknowledging the lordship of God. Acknowledging his lordship over you. Psalm 144 and verse 15. Happy is that people... That is in such a case, yea, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Take a look today at the plight of many of the Christians in our, in our nation. They would have you believe that they are so content in their legalistic faith. But the truth is that they are miserable. Again, I know, I know countless numbers of Christian people who are just miserable people. No joy in their life at all. Critical, criticizing everything and everyone. Hateful. There are people who claim to be Christians 
that would take great joy if this church were to close down. Just hateful people, despiteful people. They're miserable. You see, by their own doctrine, many of them must adhere to a set of ideals, a set of rules that they call standards. And these standards are such that no man can adhere to them, at least not in his innermost self. There are are many who who outwardly appear to be compliant to these so-called standards, but yet inwardly. And Jesus addressed this to the Pharisees, did he not? Jesus told the Pharisees, he says, outwardly you appear as whited sepulchers, but inwardly, he said, you're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So there's no joy found in, in, in placing all of our, our faith into these, into these standards, into these ideals that if we live by these, then we're righteous. And we're not righteous. And we'll never be righteous apart from Jesus Christ our Lord. The only righteousness I have today is the righteousness of Christ, which has been implanted in me by the Holy Spirit. That's the only righteousness I have. It's the only righteousness you have. There's no joy found in in trying to outwardly adhere to a bunch of rules. These standards cannot be adhered to by man, yet they try to achieve them to find happiness. And further, if a set of standards that, uh, it's a set of standards that most of their leadership does not even adhere to. Luke chapter 11, verse 46, Jesus said, and he said, woe unto you also, ye lawyers. He's talking to the scribes and Pharisees here. He says, for ye laid men with burdens, grievous to be borne. And ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. And rather than acknowledge the sovereignty of Christ in the doctrines of, of grace and live in the, audience, in the abundance of the grace of Christ. You know, I decided one, one year, I decided when I was teaching the teenagers, I decided to do a study on grace. And I figured, well, I'll get four or five weeks out of this. You know how many lessons I t- ended up teaching? To, and, and, and we didn't even finish, really. I, I just kind of scratched the surface on how abundant the grace of God is. I taught 46 lessons on the grace of God. And as I said, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it all, I'm sure. The abundance, live in the abundance of the grace of Christ. Instead of this, they, they try to lift themselves up by their own standards, their, their own works. And in doing so, they, they fail to acknowledge the sovereignty and, and the lordship of Christ to rule in their hearts and cause them to live holy and happy lives. They go forth and say, oh, you don't have to accept Jesus as Lord to be saved. Does that make any sense to anyone? It's easy believism. You don't have to. You don't have to accept. You don't have to acknowledge Jesus as Lord of your life. You don't have to even stop sinning to be saved. All you have to do is 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 just repent of unbelief. That's what they say. Just repent of the sin of unbelief, and God will save you. Somebody find that for me. 
I don't find it anywhere. I don't find it one place. You see, the world has rejected, and I must hurry, the world has rejected the doctrines of perseverance. Calling perseverance works. Uh, perseverance isn't, let me, let me clarify, perseverance is not works to be saved. Perseverance is the result of salvation in your life. Because when you get saved, you are a new creature. The Holy Spirit comes in and creates a new you. I preached a message one time called the new you. And the, the Holy Spirit re- makes us new. And this new person does not live in sin. This new person is created after Christ in all holiness and righteousness. Now, does that mean that we can't sin? Oh, we will sin. We will fall. We will fail. But we will not dwell in sin. Any person who claims to be a child of God yet can dwell in sin, that person definitely does not acknowledge Jesus as Lord of their lives. Therefore, how can they possibly be his child? You know, I'm amazed at times. I got some of these athletes, they change their names. You know, Chad Johnson changed his name to Ocho Cinco. And then, how many of you follow basketball? Any of you follow basketball? Ron Ortez changed his name to Meta World Peace. I was watching the Lakers game, and they said, World Peace just scored. I said, what? What? Sure enough, they showed his, they showed his jersey in the back, World Peace. What kind of respect is that to your father? That you change your name. You know, when I grew up, my name Dalton. I was, I caught a lot of trouble for that name. Because I grew up, when I was a boy, Westerns were big. And the Dalton gang were bad guys. And I got teased all the time. And I, I rude that name when I grew up. I used to tell my dad, why did you name me that? And one day he, sit, he sat me down and said, I'm going to tell you why I named you that, son. Because my best friend ever was named Dalton. And he said, I gave you that name. And you know what? What kind of person would I be to change my name? To disrespect my father so much that I would, that I would throw away his name. Well, what kind of child would we be if we did not acknowledge that God is Lord of our lives? The Lordship of God. And as Lord, he has, he has the right to rule our lives. He has the right to tell us what to do. And as good children, we should obey. I'm sick and tired of this, of this generation of entitlement who says, I have a right to do what I want to do. Well, you know what? If you're a child of God, you don't. So stop talking foolishness and start acknowledging the lordship of God in your life and start living your life the way the Lord would have you live that life. And then, number six, how to be happy? We find happiness in the chastening of the Lord. Happiness is found in the chastening of the Lord. Job chapter 5 and verse 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Now, certainly we all understand that correction is not pleasant. At least, not at the beginning, right? 
In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, the author states, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. You know that old saying, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? Well, Dad, we could sure strike up a deal here so that neither one of us feels any pain, if you'd like. But alas. You know, but, but, you know, honestly, my dad never told me that. My dad never said, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. No, he said, this is going to hurt you a lot. And you're going to remember it next time you want to do something wrong. However, we know that chastisement does bring happiness. Now, how does it bring happiness? Let me give you a few thoughts and we're done. First, the the chastening of the Lord restores fellowship. It restores fellowship. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 7. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Without this period of chastisement, the relationship between you and God would remain strained. And the chastening of the Lord restores our fellowship with him. Just as when you punished your children for doing wrong, you came to a point of restoration. A point where you were now able to forgive them. And they were able to to be thankful for that forgiveness. And when the, when the Lord chastens us, it's not pleasant, it's not fun. But if we receive it correctly, and if we acknowledge, Lord, I am going through this because of my fault and my error, when we do this correctly with the right attitude, our, our relationship with the Lord, our fellowship is restored. But not only does it restore fellowship, secondly, it gives instruction. It gives instruction. Proverbs twenty nine fifteen. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. How many of you see the condition of the young people in our world today? Huh? You go to the grocery store and the mom's there. Don't you? Come here. Come here. Boy, when I get you home, I'm going to tear you up. You see, chastening instructs. Chastening instructs. When I was when I was a kid, um, I'd go to the town. I'd go to the store with mom, and I'd start I'd start crying for something, and to shut me up, she'd buy it. And then when we get home, she'd spank me. But I was okay because I had it. See, I had what I wanted. So, eh, the spanking was worth. You know, the punishment was worth the crime. Well, I tried that with dad one day. And he whipped me right in the store. He didn't, he didn't wait till he got me home. And he didn't buy it. And he whipped the fire out of me. When he got home, he asked mom if that had been going on. And she said, yeah, and I got whipped again. And he told her, he said, don't you ever buy that boy something again when he's, when he's doing, behaving like that. I learned a lesson that day. Quickly, I learned a lesson. Chastening instructs. You know, there have been times in, in, in my Christian life when God has chastened me. And I have, you, you can do two things when God's chastening you. You can get mad. You can, you can pout and you can say, well, God, you're just, you're just not being fair. 
You know, you're just being mean. Or you can just stop and say, you know what, Lord? Show me what I've done. Show me where I'm wrong. Instruct me so that I don't do this again. You see, I was a kid growing up. I, I didn't want to get whipped twice for the same thing. Uh, if, if something brought discipline, I'd say, whoa, stop. Let's make careful note of this. Let's file this away in emergency files uh, for later reference because I didn't, want to get, I didn't want to get punished twice for the same thing. But as Christians, so often, instead of, instead of stopping and coming to God and, and praying for instruction and, and what we did and how to make it right with him, we just get angry and we go off and we do something else stupid and get further and further and further away from the Lord. At the core of our happiness is, is understanding. Without it, we can never be truly or completely happy. And then, lastly, the chastisement of the Lord produces righteousness. We read this a moment ago, Hebrews 12, 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Chastisement in the end produces a life that is worthy of God. It produces righteousness. And we shouldn't, now, we shouldn't run off and, and look for the chastisement of God, but when it does come, we shouldn't get angry and we, we shouldn't despise it because it's simply God trying to teach us, trying to instruct us, trying to, to instruct us on how to live a righteous life in his name that we might walk worthy of him. James 5.11 Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The Lord will chasten us, but what, did, what, did, what do you do as a parent after you've whipped your children or after you've disciplined your children? What do you do? Usually, you, you go to them and you embrace them and you hug them and you tell them, I love you. I, I'm not doing this to hurt you. I'm doing this to teach you. And you know, when we have the right attitude and a humble spirit before the Lord in those days when he chastens us, that's exactly what he... I've experienced so many times. I've, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to tell you I've experienced it, in, but, but I, I've sensed so many times that the Lord just, just comes to me and, 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 and consoles me in my, in my errors in my life. Happiness. It's what we all seek. It's what we all desire. So the question is, this morning, what, where are you seeking your happiness? If you're seeking it any place other than Jesus Christ, you'll never find it. Because there is no happiness. There is no joy apart from Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, folks. Got us right there, so we're going to go ahead and dismiss.